Warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I'm here with my ghoul friend Jessica. Hello. Hello. I'm going to apologize for my voice. I have a really bad sore throat, so this is going to be super fun. If this is the first time you're hearing me, I normally don't sound like a bag of trash, but it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So for today, because I was filming Haunted Ground stuff earlier, I decided to kind of keep that wavelength going. And I found a list that is supposedly some of the freakiest real-life haunted house stories ever. Oh. Yes. So I'm like, okay, okay. When I did find this article, there are a few on here that we have already covered, so I'm not going to go over those, but there are some other goodies that we have not covered. So, our first one for the evening is the Lemp Mansion in St. Louis, Missouri. The Lemp Mansion in St. Louis, which is known to be one of the most haunted places in America due to its tragic history and links to a wealthy beer baron. What's a beer baron? Is that like... To the Googs. I would assume like a distributor type of situation. A beer baron. Oh, that's that's an actual name of a bar. (laughs) (laughs) Beer Baron Occupation. Beer Baron, somebody who organizes the illegal production and sale of beer during time of prohibition. Okay, well, this makes sense because we're going to be in the 1800s for this story. So, Adam Lemp, he was a German immigrant and was the first person to produce and sell lager-style beer in the U.S. Well, damn. That's cool. Good for him. Sam Adams, super happy about it. (laughs) Actually, I don't like Sam Adams, but you get my point. (laughs) Yes, yes. He stored the barrels in an underground cave system beneath the city to keep them cool pre-modern refrigeration. It was successful, but his son, William, was the one who really brought it to the next level. In the 1860s, William wanted to live closer to the industrial plant and started a family with his wife, Julia. So they built the foreboding home in the historic Benton Park neighborhood right over the cave system. Everything seemed to be taking a turn for the worse in the new millennium, and William died by suicide in 1904, after his favorite of five sons, Frederick, died tragically due to complications of tuberculosis. Oh, that's sad. 
right? A few years later, his wife also died of cancer in the house. In 1920, the youngest daughter, Elsa, mysteriously died in her home, not in the Limp Mansion. Did we talk about this one or did we talk about one that was like super similar? It sounds familiar. I feel yeah. like a lot of origin stories are like how tragic these are. Right. But I feel like that one was maybe in California, but it's a similar story. I can't remember. Then in 1922, after running the company for years and seeing it flounder during the Prohibition era, William Jr. shot himself in the same room. Oh my God. Okay, no, this is a different story. Than William, the same room that his dad died in. They both committed suicide in the same room. Oh, that's sad. Interesting, right? One of William Jr.'s brothers, Charles, lived in the home from the 30s until 1949 when he shot his own dog. Oh my God. In the basement of the home before dying by suicide in his room, that same year, the youngest surviving child of this family, Edwin, sold the house and transformed it into a boarding house where reports of hauntings began. According to Destination America, witnesses have experienced burning sensations, slamming doors, disembodied moaning and crying, amongst other things. Today, the Lemp Mansion is a restaurant that also holds events including weddings, murder mystery dinners, and ghost hunting experiences. Interesting. I'm like, gonna have to see how far that is from me. I was was really hoping they were gonna say, like, (laughs) is currently a tap room. (laughs) Oh my god. I mean... Lean into it. He's a a beer baron. (laughs) There's probably something themed there. If not, that's a huge missed opportunity. And if someone knows who owns it, tell them. Oh, man. All right. So now our next one, we're going to head to California. So this is 1000 Lombard Street in San Francisco. Socialite journalist and famed party host Patricia. Oh, my God. I can't say his last name. Patricia Montenden. I don't know. Something like that. Moved from her apartment on San Francisco's famous crooked block Lombard Street in 1960. She lived happily in her Russian hill abode for about eight years until things began to go awry following an astrology-themed party that she hosted in her apartment. Oh. Yeah. In her memoir, The Intruders, she attributes a series of hauntings that culminated in the corporal tragedy to the bizarre behavior of a disgruntled tarot card reader who may have cursed, oh my God, the apartment the night of that party. Don't piss Damn. off a tarot reader. You pissed off the wrong one. So, from eerie laughter and faint music seemingly coming from within the apartment on repeat to constant rushes of cold winds despite locked doors and windows and strange disembodied footsteps, the paranormal events were stacking up quickly. But she was also the victim of physical crimes following the party, including a robbery, harassment, possible arson, and more. After the tragic fire at the apartment and the premature passing of three of her close friends, all of whom had separately lived in the apartment between 1968 and 1969, she set off her own investigation to uncover the root of the apparent curse on 1000 Lombard Street. Wow. I think I need to read that memoir. That's insane. That's like a lot of bad juju. It is. Going on. I mean, whoever you pissed off, like, was well connected. Right. Okay, next one. Ackley House in New York. 
So nicknamed Ackley House after its one-time occupants, the Ackley family, this classic Queen Anne sits on the Hudson River across from Sleepy Hollow. (gasps) Many of the ghosts who roamed the halls of one Lavetta place were nothing but friendly, though they were active enough to inspire the matriarch, Helen Ackley, to write a national article about them in Reader's Digest. The article gained enough momentum that the house became a stop on local ghost tours, which ended up having some not-so-great ramifications when it came time to sell the home in the late 80s. I can see that, because people are going to be like, why do I want to buy a haunted house type of shit? Oh, for sure. Like, nobody wants to be the stop. No. The Ackleys found themselves entangled in a legal battle over whether or not they should have disclosed the haunted nature of the house to the buyers, the Stam Bavosky family. In a landmark legal discussion now referred to as the Ghostbusters ruling. I love that so much. Right? Me too. Ackley House was deemed haunted by the New York Supreme Court, and the buyers were able to pull out of the sale while also getting half of their down payment back. Oh, damn. Right? One La Veda place has since been home to several celebrities, including musician Ingrid Michelson. Interesting. Interesting. The courts were. I feel like that's definitely like an 80s vibe. I mean, today I feel like it'd be possible, but during like the late 90s and the early 2000s, that absolutely would not have happened in court. <laughs> that's insane. <sighs> I mean, can you ima- but can you imagine though like, I don't know, buying a house and then just being like, well fuck it, it's haunted and the previous owner's like, you're bad. Right? Jesus. I feel like they should have to disclose that kind of stuff, especially if it's a stop on a freaking ghost tour. Like That I think they should have disclosed. Yeah. They should have been like, yeah. by the way, people will like stop coming. outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because like depending on this family, they could have kids and that could be quite mm-hmm. like jarring if you're waking up on like a Saturday morning and you know, you're taking little Timmy out to play catch in the front yard and then a bus stops. You're like, the fuck? Yeah. Right, exactly. It has a Wikipedia page, the court case. I, I love that. I think we might have to do that one because that's pretty amazing. I'm I super like excited. I love I that love it has it. a nickname of the Ghostbusters. Really. <laughs> right? I think okay. now, anytime something, like, someone doesn't tell me something, I'm just gonna, like, say, like, <laughs> I'm gonna do the Ghostbusters ruling on you now. <laughs> That's so great. Oh, my God. Okay. Our next one is called the Chop Chop House in Boise, Idaho. I don't know how I like that. The Chop Chop? Uh-huh. I already, I already, it's going to be not fun. <laughs> so the house is at 1805 West Linden Street in Boise, and it is stated that it's hard to miss. Covered in a layer of soot with windows broken and boarded up with trash strewn about the yard, the two-story, 2,728-square-foot craftsman-style home looks like an abandoned horror movie set. The true story, however, is much scarier. Locals refer to it as the Boise Murder House, or even more eyebrow-raising, the Chop Chop House, which is a glit... I don't like it. I don't like this either. My dumbass is over here going, you know it would be really great if like, you bought it and you turned it into a steakhouse? Because sometimes steakhouses are called chop houses. It's all bad. Yeah, right? it's not good. Mm. Not good. No. But people were murdered here, so that's kind of gross. <laughs> 
That's where I thought this was headed. I should say that. Like, that's where my mind went. Like, somebody calls it that now. Yeah. So, it says that the homicide took place more than three decades ago. And according to many who lived there in the neighborhood or even rented a room in the house itself, the basement exudes some haunted energy. There have been reports of shadowy figures appearing and disappearing out of nowhere. Ew, strange liquid oozing down the walls and more. Oh my god. No, thank you. Yeah. But apparently, you can hear the full story of this house in an episode of Dark House. It's a podcast. But apparently, there's a guest interview with Justin Long. So that's why I mentioned that. Because I know you're about that. <laughs> Why? Why is Justin Long on this ep- on this podcast? Maybe he stayed there. I don't know. Did he rent the basement? Ew, probably. <laughs> Maybe that's why he starred in Barbarian. <laughs> he got his inspiration. Uh, literally. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So the next one is Grey Gardens in East Hampton, New York. So. The four acres of land the home now sits on is in the Georgica Beach section of East Hampton, one of the most expensive regions in the world, and hence why my ass could not pronounce that right, probably. And it was purchased by a wealthy couple in 1895 before the home was built in the early 1900s. By 1913, it was sold to the president of a coal company whose wife, Anna Gilman, or Anna Gilman Hill, imported ornate concrete walls from Spain to enclose the garden. The house was called Grey Gardens because of the color of the dunes, the cement garden walls, and the sea mist. Later, in 1923, the home was sold to Edith Beale, the parental aunt of Jackie, of Jackie O. Oh, my God. Oh. Interesting. Fancy. Right. After a series of misfortunes and financial losses, the home fell into disrepair and was overrun by cats and raccoons. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sometimes these stories, they just like take a weird turn. You're like, the fuck? Where did the raccoon come from? Right. So basically, they couldn't afford to maintain the house, the mansion. The women's story and star power, it says, was made famous by a 1975 documentary. Big Eddie held onto the property until her death in, or Edie, I don't know if it's Eddie or Edie, until her death in 1977, and her spirit is said to remain at the Grey Gardens, which watches over the house. Crazy. And it says, among the believers is the author and journalist Sally Quinn, best known for her column in the Washington Post, who purchased the home from Little Edie in 1979, and she swears that it's haunted. Interesting. Do you know, like, you saying Big Edie and Little Edie is giving me Gilmore Girl flashbacks. <laughs> Do you remember the episode where Rory and Lorelai are, like, sitting on the couch and they're watching a, a show and, like, Little Edie is singing or something like that and they're, like, talking about it? Mm-hmm. Are these those people? Maybe. I got to figure out where it is and look back. Yes. Yes. All right. So our next house is in Savannah, Georgia. Which we we know at this point is haunted as fuck. So this is... <laughs> it's like you can't go to Savannah, Georgia and not be haunted. Like, that is the right? actual thing. Like, if someone goes there and isn't haunted, they should get an award. Literally. Okay, so the house that's making its debut on this list is the Mercer Williams House. 
So this house dates back to 1860, and in the 1970s, famed preservationist and antiques dealer Jim Williams restored the home. So this home played host to three untimely deaths, including that of 11-year-old Tommy Downs when he fell off the roof in 1969. That's so sad, Mm. but it's like, oh my God. And then the next one is the 1981 fatal shooting of Danny Hansford by Williams and Williams himself when he died in the same room as Hansford less than a year after being acquitted for his death in a fourth trial. Damn. If the story sounds familiar, it's probably because you recognize it from the best-selling book Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. I feel like I've heard of that book. Much like the rest of the city, the home was supposedly built right on top of unmarked graves. Rumors about the crime and ensuing ghost stories continue to swirl to this day. Well, yeah, it's probably haunted as fuck. Let's just be real. I looked it up to Mm -hmm. circle back to the Edie thing. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You said the Mm -hmm. movie was Grey Gardens? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Because that's what that thing was called. Yes, that's the movie they're watching in Gilmore Girls. They're, They're literally watching the movie talking about the movie. Oh, my gosh. The documentary. Yeah, the dialect goes, Rory says, I like these women. Lorelai says, I love these women. Rory goes, poor Edie. Lorelai, which Edie? Little Edie. She's just trying to sing and her mom won't stop talking. Lorelai, big Edie was so beautiful in her day. Rory, they're both pretty. (laughs) And then it goes on. (laughs) But then I was like, I was like, I remember this. Like, Mm -hmm. like, this sounds fucking familiar. (laughs) Yep. Okay. They were watching Grey Gardens. Interesting. Love it. All right. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's okay. It's just like it all connected. That's funny. Okay, our next one is the Jean Harlow House in Los Angeles, California. So this home is said to have a very gruesome history. In 1932, it was home to the iconic actress Jean Harlow and her abusive husband, Paul Byrne, who shot himself in the head while standing in front of the mirror. Their butler discovered him and called MGM instead of the police, so there wasn't a ton of rumors that it wasn't actually suicide. What? There's so much to unpack in that sentence alone. Right? What the fuck? And it says many suspected Burns ex-girlfriend, a suspicion exacerbated by her jumping off a boat to her death a couple days later. Holy fuck. Oh my god. Oh my god. Could you imagine if, like, TMZ was around back then? Oh, my God. Yeah, for real. That would have been, like, everywhere. So, Gene moved out of the house after his death, but she only died a few years later at the age of 26. But wait, it gets creepier. Oh, good, because that's not bad enough. <laughs> In 1963, celebrity hairstylist Jay Sebring bought the home and lived there with his... Oh... And lived there with his girlfriend, Sharon Tate, until she left him for Roman Polanski. They were, you guys already know the story, but that's fine. They were still friends and remained so until both of them were murdered by the Charles Manson cult, as we all know. And if you are newer, we did a two-parter on the Manson family in 2019 or 2020. And Tate was the same age as Harlow when she passed. That's also fucking creepy. But back to when the couple lived in the Harlow house, Tate told several friends of creepy occurrences in the home and even mentioned it in interviews. 
For example, once when she was sleeping in the master bedroom alone, she saw a creepy little man. Her friend said she believed it to be Paul's ghost. She was also freaked out when she saw the alleged ghost that she ran out of the room and then saw a hanging shadowy corpse with his throat slit in the hallway. Ah! There's, right? There's also stories about two other people dying in the swimming pool over the years. Oh my, oh my God. God. That house. Yeah, that's, that's all, that's all bad. So bad. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so our next one, we're going to go back to the East Coast. We're going to go to Gardner, Massachusetts. This is the S.K. Pierce Mansion. So the original occupant, Sylvester Pierce, had just started making his fortune in the furniture business when he built this home for himself, his son, and wife, Susan. As a man about town, he hosted many notable people in his 7,000-square-foot home throughout the years, including President Calvin Coolidge, Bette Davis, and Norman Rockwell. Wow. Only a week after moving into the home, Susan fell ill and passed away from a mysterious bacterial disease. A year later, he remarried to Ellen, a woman 30 years his junior, Jesus, and had two more children. Years later, when both Sylvester and Ellen had passed away, his son embarked on a fiery feud about the property as well as the furniture company. But the Great Depression swept in and made their choices easier since the company basically went bankrupt. The youngest son, Edward, was given control of the home when he turned it into a boarding house. It became a hotspot for illicit activities, including murder and sudden tragic deaths of several occupants. Well, the murder would... The sudden tragic deaths. (laughs) Right? I'm like, that's the same. I mean, unless we're also talking like they got sick and died mysteriously, but otherwise murder kind of covers that. Mm -hmm. As a result of these violent ends, guests have reported every kind of haunting imaginable from visions of apparitions to flying objects, disembodied voices, pressure temperature drops, and more. I I can skip that one, I think. I'm okay without that. I don't like the pressure drops, like that kind of thing. Like yeah. the whole like air thing doesn't bother me, but the mm-hmm. pressure drop gives me that like weird mystery spot vibe. Right? No, thank you. I agree. <laughs> All righty. So now we're going to be in Ohio. We're going, this one is the Mudhouse Mansion in Fairfield, Ohio. So it is said that this mansion has a bad reputation. Nobody can seem to agree on when it was built, but it dates sometime between the 1840s and 1900s. Unlike the other abandoned mansions on the list, you can sadly no longer visit it, as the home was demolished in 2015 after not being occupied since the 30s. The last resident, at least legally speaking, was Lulu Hartman Mast, and the current owner of the property is her relative, Jean Mast. Because there's so little information about who lived here and when, and because abandoned places tend to ignite the dark side of the imagination, there are tons of legends around alleged atrocities occurring and consequent hauntings. The sources don't seem very credible, though. So that one's kind of a give or take. So you can you can do with that. I like when they the people that write, you know, like the journalists that do these kind of lists for us actually include ones where they're like, people say it is, but it might not be. So just... Take what you will. You know what I mean? It shows that they're being subjective with that, and I like that. I agree. Right. All righty, y'all. Well, I've arrived to the last one on the list I am going to bring to you today in this little spooky stabby. 
So this is going to take us and end our journey in Brooklyn, New York. The It is more specifically 455A Sackett Street. You never hear much about a haunted apartments as haunted houses, which is strange considering that apartments have much more turnover and therefore a higher likelihood of something or someone evil having lived there before you moved in. That's a really good point. There was definitely the case of 455 Sackett Street in Brooklyn. One woman who grew up there writes about her firsthand experiences, including unexplained fires, seriously bad energy, family tragedies, personal suffering, and here's the kicker. The body of a child was discovered in the wall (gasps) after several suspicious sightings of a similar looking shadow child in the mirror. Oh my God. Yeah. And not only has she made these claims, there are tons of other people who have lived there and back up her stories. Creepy. But it's funny because the journalist put, I'll definitely not be requesting an in-person viewing of this place, private balcony or not, if the address ever pops back up in my in my feed. Yeah, no, <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know if I could ever live in a house where they found a child's body in the wall. Can you imagine being the one that lived there when they fucking found it? No. I wonder if anyone was living there. I'm like, I have like, that's another one. I'm like, okay, add this to the list because now I need to know like all the things and how they found out. And oh my God, that's so fucking scary. It's just one, whoever lived in the house while the child was decomposing is the one who did it. Because there's no oh, way that sure. you're like putting a, ch- a body in a wall and then leaving the house. Right, exactly. Unless it was like empty at the time and the person that did it knew that. Oh, that's true. That so could it could be a sense. resident. Yeah, yeah, that could either be a resident in a different apartment in that building or they had previously lived there, like you said. There's there's all kinds of fucking things. Oh, my God. It's also like the fact that it's in a, an apartment building. Right. I can smell when my neighbors cook things. Like, could you imagine yeah. like living next? And I feel like today we have stronger building codes. Like you have to like mm-hmm. have more space. You have to insulate more, that kind of shit. So yeah. like back in the day, like you would think that there'd be just be like a big, you'd smell it. Right. Exactly. Kind of slumlord not checking on the smelly place is this sh- shit. But hey, it has a I private mean. balcony. Jesus. Yeah. That's, it's just. Could you imagine if that's what the listing says? Comes with ghosts and private balcony. (laughs) I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. There's, there are people (laughs) out there who'd be like, I'm in. I got this. (laughs) Right? I'd be like, nope, bye. Next one. Don't care. (laughs) Everyone just bringing their own form of cleansing spirit, cleansing products. (laughs) Lord. Oh my goodness. All right, y'all. Well, that is going to go ahead and wrap us up for today. I hope you guys enjoyed hearing about some really fucking scary houses. I know we learned stuff, so that's always cool. But anyways, with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off and we will see you back here on Monday. Bye, guys. Bye.